Podcast. Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 123 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of 2019 OFAC Sanctions Informants and Compliance. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, today's episode is sponsored by Euro Van Dyke. Today's podcast episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance is sponsored by Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's analytics company. With information on more than 360 million companies, Bureau Van Dyke is the resource for company data, and they make it simple to compare companies internationally. Their flagship product, Orbis, is used to find, analyze, and compare companies worldwide for better decision-making and increase efficiency. Bureau Van Dyke recently announced its new Compliance Catalyst, which is a data-driven decision engine and risk management platform. Powered by Orbis, new Compliance Catalyst is a game-changer because nothing else combines data, technology, and people power into a single platform. Compliance Catalyst can streamline your KYC, AML, and anti-corruption research and make your client onboarding and customer due diligence process more reliable and efficient. Compliance Catalyst offers several unique advantages, including an integrated platform that combines your data, entity data from Bureau Van Dyke, and flexible due diligence screening, automated and enhanced, instant risk preview, and screening against watch lists and adverse media in seconds, customized dashboard, risk profiles and thresholds, screening and monitoring settings. As part of the Compliance Catalyst platform, several effective modules are provided, including AI-powered adverse media searches and reviews, shareholder power analyses, entity verification and resolution, and integrated enhanced due diligence services. If interested in a demo of the new Compliance Catalyst platform, please contact Bureau Van Dyke at americas at vdinfo.com or call 1-212-797-3550. Well, 2019 was a big year in FCPA enforcement, and it was also a record year for uh, OFAC sanctions enforcement. Um, OFAC collected its largest amount in fines for any one-year period of $1.28 billion. That's yes, billion with a B. Uh, they had 26 separate enforcement actions, which was one less than the record of 27. Uh, and it's also quite an increase over 2018 when OFAC collected 70, only $71 million in seven separate enforcement actions. OFAC enforcement is clearly uh, maturing, and its relationship with DEO, DEO, DOJ is coordinated in much the same way that the FCPA enforcement is coordinated between the Justice Department and the SEC. So in fact, uh, one of the biggest uh, enforcement uh, developments was on December 13th, 2019, DOJ announced its own corporate enforcement policy for export controls and sanctions cases. No longer is DOJ going to rely on OFAC referrals of potential criminal cases since it's now encouraging companies to self-report directly to DOJ separately from any self-report to OFAC 
and that will depend on the nature of the evidence surrounding the potential violations. Uh, under DOJ's uh, new policy, companies that self-report will receive a non-prosecution agreement unless aggravating factors are present, so long as the company voluntarily discloses, fully cooperates, and implements timely and appropriate uh, remediation. And that is clearly, um, you know, in keeping with the corporate enforcement uh, that policies that were adopted for FCPA as well as antitrust. Um, so it's a common principle. Uh, given its new policy, though, with the self-reporting by companies, uh, we're clearly going to see an increase in individual criminal sanctions cases in 2020 and uh, beyond. It's probably going to mature with more and more uh, cases being brought. So OFAC's enforcement program has really grown with the accumulation of new and more complex sanctions regulations. For example, we have the Ukraine-Russia sectoral sanctions, the oligarch sanctions, and we had, uh, we've had recently Venezuela's sanctions programs, particularly the designation of or the blocking of all transactions with government-owned entities, including PDVSA. Aside from the increase in sort of the substantive regulations, OFAC has definitely expanded its targets uh, to include non-financial entities such as manufacturing companies, tech companies, service companies, and a, in a broad mix of the economy. No longer is OFAC focusing just on financial institutions. Uh, but notwithstanding that observation, however, its two biggest cases for the year uh, were against financial institutions, each of which exceeded totals of $1 billion, yes, with a B, billion, uh, that being Standard Charter and uh, Unicredit. OFAC shared these large settlements with DOJ, the New York Department of Financial Services, and a Manhattan uh, District Attorney's Office, and in one of them with the Federal Reserve. But OFAC's enforcement emphasis from this past year actually falls into four pretty basic themes beyond financial institutions, um, and each of which I think uh, reflects new and significant risks for companies. The most significant trend, and which I think is uh, the most important case that's been brought in years, one in which OFAC emphasized in its sanctions compliance guidance earlier this year, was sanctions liability for supply chain violations. And in typical cases, what this means is OFAC violations now and OFAC liability for supply chain sourcing from prohibited countries or individuals even where you are not or the company that's being prosecuted from the United States uh, doesn't know uh, that, it's, uh, that it has, let's say, items from North Korea coming into uh, its supply chain. So this was underscored but by what I have been arguing is the most important OFAC case of the year, the ELF Cosmetics case, which occurred early. Uh, in the year in which a U.S. company was found liable and paid nearly $1 million for sourcing of materials, it was eyelashes, from North Korea. And that was done by a Chinese supplier. So it was uh, steps removed from ELF. And even though ELF was not aware that its supplies were sourced from North Korea. So supply chain risk has been specifically noted in OFAC's sanctions compliance guidance, which was issued in May 2019, and it identifies supply chain risks as a specific topic for review and a risk assessment. Uh, 
Now, aside from supply chain risk, uh, OFAC brought four major enforcement actions focusing on U.S. companies that acquired for foreign companies and failed to terminate ongoing businesses that uh, violated OFAC sanctions programs. Again, this trend was noted by OFAC in its sanctions compliance guidance, and companies are under unique pressure now to identify potential OFAC risks when acquiring companies and integrating those companies into existing sanctions compliance programs and making sure that the acquired company discontinues any uh, uh, activities that would otherwise uh, constitute uh, OFAC violations. On the distribution side of business, OFAC enforcement highlighted several cases in which companies were found liable for failing to ensure that third-party representatives and or distributors uh, did not conduct business with prohibited countries or individuals. Third-party liability is a major sanctions risk, and OFAC's focus on this fact is underscored uh, by the fact that contractual representations and warranties of compliance in a contract with a distributor are not sufficient by themselves to mitigate third-party risks or escape enforcement by OFAC. To round out OFAC's record-sending uh, enforcement year, OFAC brought a specific enforcement action against a U.S. company for violating the Ukraine-Russia sectoral sanctions, and specifically the prohibition against debt exceeding specific time limits. In the Haverly case, OFAC settled with Haverly uh, and for $75,000 when Haverly extended payment terms for two invoices with Rosneft uh, beyond the then applicable 90-day limit for, for new debt. Uh, and the, uh, the extension of the invoice payment terms uh, was found to be in violation of the 90-day limit, which was then applicable. So uh, that's sort of a round out of what OFAC uh, enforcement looks like. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how sanctions compliance itself has changed. And uh, 2019, like uh, in the enforcement arena, was also a big year in OFAC compliance. Uh, the sanctions compliance guidance was a major change and, uh, and reflects that OFAC has set high expectations for compliance. Whether companies have received and responded to this message is still unclear, and it may take a few years of aggressive enforcement for companies to reach the conclusion that investment in sanctions compliance is an important priority. So let's look at some of the new requirements or expectations. Uh, first, the sanctions compliance program must, at a minimum, consist of five elements. Senior management commitment, risk assessment, internal controls, testing and audit, and training. This is a basic list. Now, there's nothing that's really surprising in there. But when you dig into each of these elements and, how, and what OFAC is expecting, that's where we start to see interesting issues. Under risk assessment, companies are now required to conduct a holistic review of the organization from top to bottom of a clients and customers, and that unto itself is pretty big. B, products and services. C, supply chain, which I've mentioned already. D, interme intermediaries and counterparties. E, transactions, F, locations, and G, mergers and acquisitions, and we've talked about the acquisition risks. 
As I've pointed out, and I know I say this repeatedly, the addition of the supply chain risks and liability for sourcing from prohibited countries and parties increases risks exponentially and requires allocation of significant resources to conduct annual assessments uh, of your supply chain and update that. At a minimum, companies have to uh, annually take a look at suppliers and vendors that operate in proximity to prohibited countries because that's where the sourcing is likely to occur. The larger the geographic difference, uh, the more costly using those sources may be. A risk assessment also has to be conducted in conjunction with the design of internal controls. So part of this element, companies have to implement screening technologies to conduct due diligence of companies falling into specific categories identified through the risk assessment process. This procedure, in turn, requires companies to identify beneficial owners of a particular company. In practical terms, OFAC has outlined a requirement that screening has to include beneficial owners of not only third parties, but vendors and suppliers and, most importantly, a company's customers. In this way, OFAC has extended due diligence requirements significantly for global companies. In addition, OFAC has mandated uh, that companies can no longer point to screening errors or failures resulting from inadequate technology. We saw that this year in the Apple case, under which Apple uh, was reached a settlement of $476,000 for a screening error, uh, that occurred when it used its uh, screening technology and they failed to uh, distinguish between initial cap or full cap uh, types of entries uh, regarding the name. OFAC requires companies to document the selection of a screening system, calibrate the uh, screening system in relation to the company's risk profile, and conduct annual testing of the screening system to ensure its accuracy. Like DOJ's compliance guidance and consistent with the framework articulated in the U.S. sentencing guidelines, uh, companies also have to designate a sanctions compliance officer responsible for the sanctions compliance program. The individual can serve as a compliance officer for other compliance programs at the same time. The sanctions compliance function, however, should have adequate resources, and that means human and technical and professionals with sufficient knowledge and expertise in the uh, export control and sanctions areas. Finally, OFAC has joined the list of mandated training programs, aside from annual sexual harassment and discrimination training, training programs that apply in at least New York and California. The sanctions compliance guidance requires companies to conduct annual training of responsible persons those that act in or near functions with sanctions risk. Uh, and this has to be done annually uh, and regularly updated in terms of who's responsible and who should be included uh, on that list. Well, that's a quick update of the, uh, the year for OFAC. And uh, it's been a big year. And like I said, uh, enforcement risks and compliance risks, uh, risk assessments, and third-party risks and supply chain are all big issues that have to be looked at uh, in terms of um, uh, OFAC compliance and OFAC uh, risks. One final area that I wanted to talk about and just to come back to is the Justice Department's 
uh, voluntary disclosure program for criminal export and sanctions violations. I mentioned that in the beginning. And I think it's a really important development because uh, what it means is that DOJ is likely to receive a larger number of voluntary disclosures. And the question comes up as to when you disclose to, let's say, a regulatory agency such as for OFAC, uh, you go, uh, obviously, for sanctions violations. For export control violations, you probably will go to the Department of Commerce. Uh, and for uh, ITAR violations, you will go to the State Department. Um, and the question is, when you uh, disclose to the regulatory agency, when should you then disclose to the Justice Department? And according to the policy that was adopted by the Justice Department in December of the past year, they encouraged companies to voluntarily self-disclose all potentially willful violations, and that's the key word, of the export control and sanction statutes. And in defining a willful violation, DOJ cited the well-established standards set forth in Bryan v. United States Supreme Court decision in 1998 under which an act is willful if done with knowledge that is illegal, but the government does not have to establish that the defendant was aware of the specific law, rule, or regulation that its conduct may have violated. Brian came up in the context of firearms regulation. So similarly in the area of sanctions uh, and distinguishing between criminal and what may be civil violations, willful intent is obviously a critical fact. Um, and uh, now that DOJ has said that uh, the filing, let's say, of a regulatory voluntary disclosure with, with OFAC does not satisfy DOJ's disclosure requirements. So in other words, you cannot get credit with DOJ for disclosing just to OFAC. So companies have to now undertake a careful examination of the evidence surrounding the intent of the actors involved in a potential violation. Such conduct, if willful, could then be attributed to the company and open up potential criminal liability. So it's clear that with this distinguishing, uh, this distinction that uh, DOJ has uh, articulated, that DOJ is going to receive a significant increase in voluntary disclosures, and you can rest assured the criminal prosecution of export control and sanctions violations against companies and individuals is going to increase. Uh, and so this will complicate your risks uh, and elevate the importance of overall trade compliance and making strategic decisions with regard to uh, self-disclosures and meeting the requirements as set out in the new uh, enforcement policy from DOJ. Well, that's a, that's a good overview, I think, of sanctions and uh, some of the key issues. Uh, 2020 is going to be a big year, like I said. And uh, stay tuned, we'll do more on uh, sanctions, just uh, given the nature and uh, the number of enforcement actions we can expect uh, in the coming year. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. 
We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.lowcoftlaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at lowcoftlaw.com. Let us know how you can help me. a homeless man singing the songs I knew complete on the steps alone this guitar in hand it's 50 years to her Bad wall.